Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. Good evening and God bless you for matriculating into another edition of Springboard, your virtual university. Springboard is a multimedia, educational and personal development intervention. The best and the biggest of its kind running since August 2008. Tonight, it is exactly 90 days to the Springboard Roadshow 2018 and the theme for next year is leveraging strategy and technology in fact on all our platforms the theme for next year is leveraging strategy and technology it will feature in the roadshow feature on the virtual university and then also traverse into the festival of ideas how to leverage strategy and technology for massive advantage in everything that you are doing and while we are that we've been building up to that theme with a discussion about smart solutions we look at personal corporate payment systems we look at healthcare we look at education now we are moving from education into human resource management as part of our educational discussion we're looking at what does industry require what are the skills that industry requires recently the world economic forum listed top 10 critical skills or attributes that each one will need to find a job or further their careers from 2020 year 2020 and beyond that's exactly three years time in their estimation without these skills you are defunct or you are toast this is a mega issue what do these skills or attributes mean how are they measured is your education preparing you for them tonight and if you are if you are caught in a place where you say ah if i knew this earlier when i would have prepared differently what do you do to catch up and make sure you are the cutting edge tonight we measure your 2020 compliance level my guests doris ajiman is a lead consultant of clear compliance solutions as you can tell she's a compliance expert in the u.s doris welcome to springboard Good to see you. Good to see you too. And 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 for full disclosure, Doris is also an alumnus of of Calvary Road Incorporated. She flew in for a couple of family engagements and also for homecoming. So welcome home, Doris. Thank you. Right. So Nick Kwekoti was with us last week. You are back again, senior HR business partner of EcoBank Ghana, the lead sponsor of this broadcast. Nick, Nick good to see you. Uh, thank you, Albert. And then also joining us tonight, Amma Krantmans, <coughs> General Manager HR for Enterprise Group. Amma, welcome to Springboard. Thank you very much, Albert. Right. So let's have this discussion about. Uh, since we announced it last week, I've been getting text messages. <laughs> Is there hope <laughs> or there's trouble? Listen, relax. We're going to break this subject down for you to understand where we are and, and then where we can get to as far as these skills are concerned. Amma, are you surprised at. Before we even get, get to talk about the skills, are you surprised that the World Economic Forum gave these skills and said, if you don't have them, your career is in danger? Are you surprised? Not at all, um, Albert. These skills um, are already here with us, actually. And I was not so surprised to see it in the report from the World Bank, World Economic Forum. Right. Uh, this is because they are key critical competencies that each individual requires to be successful at the workplace so it's just in order and it's very timely because we need it now and also for the future 
let me just list them for the benefit of those who may be listening tonight. So the, the, the key skills, 10 of them. One, cognitive flexibility. Two, negotiation skills. Three, a service orientation. How, how was your flight when you were coming? Those are the things we want to talk about. <laughs> and then judgment <laughs> and decision making. Five, emotional intelligence. Six, coordinating with others. Seven, people management. Eight, creativity. Nine, critical thinking. And ten, complex problem solving. Doris, which one is your favorite? <laughs> Probably the creativity. Um, looking at having creativity. Right. Um, I, I know that you are not born with create, creative skills. You can learn it as you go along. You have uh, people who are innovators. You have people who adapt. But they are all creative. And to be able to survive in this work environment, you always they, you, you, there's always that uh, saying that think outside the box, right? You don't always have to think outside the box. If what is happening in the box is working, all you have to do is improve on it. But the point here is always be thinking about improving yourself, improving your work, improving what is going around you. So, right. I want to find out from you what compliance has to do with all of this. But let me go to Unique Koti. Which which would you call your favorite of the ten attributes that have been listed by the World Economic Forum? Okay. Um, I'll go for emotional intelligence. Why? Uh, on the bedrock of the World Economic Forum's reports, you know, a whole lot of assumptions have been made especially uh, on the field of technology where we're going to see massive disruption to the way we work, talking about robotics, talking about artificial intelligence, talking about 3D printing and all this, you know, it's going to change the way we work. And people are even predicting that, you know, some few years to come, robots are going to take over some of the job that we do. But the question is, will robots be able to understand the emotions of people or even other robots to you know, relate with them. This is the only place I can see human beings playing significant role. So emotional intelligence is very, very critical. And I would think that, you know, anybody who is able to get, you know, very good emotional intelligence will, you know, in the near future will be relevant in the workspace. Right. Yeah. So let's start by breaking down some of these skills. What do they mean? But before that, talking about skills that will be needed and those that will be Obsolete jobs that will be obsolete. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a show. We'll do one of these days. It, it's going to be a whole show. But the the roles that will seem to be stronger going forward. Um, let me mention some of them and let's mm-hmm. open the discussion with them. Ama, looking at your your role as general manager of of a Ghana Club Hundred company. In your in your in your scheme of things, what kinds of roles you think? Listen, no matter what technology comes, no matter what changes take place, these people will be needed always. Which roles do you think are almost literally indispensable? Which kinds of people will always be relevant in the workplace? I think generally, um, speaking of roles, I'll pick HR. Oh, oh, this is very self-centered. <laughs> definitely because people form the central uh, point of every organization. We can have the best of strategies. We can have the best in terms of technology. But we need people to drive the agenda and make sure that the company's objectives and goals are realized. 
So people management will definitely be top on the agenda. You are biased and, and your, 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 your submission is null and void. <laughs> I'm looking at the report here that gives eight, eight roles that eight rules that will be very critical going forward. Number one, data analysts. Number two, computer and mathematical jobs. Number three, architects and engineering. Number four, salespeople. Number five, senior managers that lead companies through transformational periods and, and so on. Number six, product designers. Number, number seven, the one that you like, HR and organizational development specialists. And number eight, regulatory and government relations experts. This report says these people, no matter what, they'll be needed. I wonder whether it is true. I think I agree with it. Because you mentioned HR. <laughs> Doris, as we list these skills that we see are going to be very critical, what is compliance? You, you, are, you are a compliance expert. Give us a sense of what compliance is about and how compliance can be linked to these skills that we are seeing are critical for organizational or individual success. I think um, the previous speakers had talked about being relevant, and you had mentioned it as well, being relevant in 2020, right? And um, companies always look at their bottom line. That's, That's what's most important, their profits. For a company to be relevant and still be in operation, compliance will be at the top of it. And why is that? Um, right now, if we are looking at whether the company is uh, being is a local company or looking to expand, and I'm hoping that they would want to do that, keeping focus on compliance um, would be key. Now, so again, what is compliance? Basically, or simply put, you say compliance is doing the right thing. Right. Uh, and every one of us uh, is that... Uh, Ben and Desire, we know right from wrong. When you are a baby, you know right from wrong. If I'm going to be doing business with you as a person, I'll be looking for someone who has integrity, someone who is ethical. Same thing. If I'm going to be doing business with a company, that's one of the key things I'll be looking for. And right now with all the regulations, um, you're looking at um, the US, UK, EU, you you don't have a choice. You have to be compliant. And the, uh, if a company comes from overseas and you have to do, it's a global village. You're going to have to do some business with them. They are required to look at your, the way you do business. They are required to see whether you are compliant. And if you're not, they run away. And the reason is because they are fined heavily in their home countries. And it doesn't matter if you're a third-party supplier, you're a vendor, you need to make sure that that vendor is doing the right thing. And if I have a company who is in uh, Malawi or Ghana or wherever, I need to make sure that they are compliant if I can do business with them. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Um, is there a link between compliance, as she describes it, and these skills that are being demanded by companies? I'll tell you why, why I'm asking this. I saw a list. I saw a, a form that a company had designed for stakeholders to fill. And I was like, listen, I mean... You are giving somebody uh, a role, let's say a board role or some of the regulatory requirements. The kind of questions they ask, they go back to your primary school. Mm-hmm. They stretch the issue and the detail that is required, several pages of very intrusive details. Is there a link between compliance and some of these skills and attributes that are being demanded? Um, yes. Um, code of ethics actually forms the basis of selecting people 
to do a particular job or a role within an organization. And it's very important that for every organization, we comply with regards to the regulator, with, with regards to the company's code and its ethics, and ensure that we have some standards of behavior. And where I'm coming from, we have a standards of behavior in place, which we expect people to comply, which is directly aligned to the company's values. So it's very essential that we comply to these things to make us um, very compliant in the eyes of the regulator and also in the eyes of the corporate environment that right. we operate in. Let me start with the first of the skills that we discussed that, or that we, we listed. The first one is cognitive flexibility. Nikki, what, what, what would you call cognitive flexibility? It sounds like a very nice English combination of words. What is cognitive flexibility? Okay, uh, when you take uh, cognitive flexibility, um, per my research, what I came across is, uh, is the ability of being able to think about multiple concepts simultaneously. So here is the case. You have a lot of concepts uh, running around, and your ability to juggle all these concepts, you know, and come is it, out. Is it like multitasking? Multitasking kind of yeah. So that right. is a way I perceive them, cognitive flexibility. Right. Yeah. So I'm an average, the average person doing a job will leave one meeting. I mean, you leave one meeting trying to trash out a labor issue. You go into another meeting also dealing with the planning of something. You go to another meeting dealing with recruitment, another meeting dealing with, uh, with uh, performance management. I guess it's the ability to juggle all these things and still keep your head on your shoulder. Yeah. It's obviously the case because um, there are lots of things competing for attention during the day. And it's about an individual who is flexible enough to be adaptable to the situations that come up at every point in time without losing focus. And that is very critical. As much as we are flexible in our thinking, we need to keep the goals, our eyes on the, on the ball, so that the goals and objectives of each particular segment be met accordingly. There are people that when you throw, Doris, there are people that when you throw different things at them at the same time, they just freeze. They just black out. I mean, they just can't deal with, <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are there, your phone is ringing, somebody else is asking you something. The moment certain things are more than one or two things are thrown at you at the same time, they just freeze. There are people who just can't handle multiple demands on their time, their thoughts. Oh, they say to such people, they say that this report says you need you need to quickly adapt to changing situations and on, on the ground be able to deal with multiple things being thrown at you. But there's some people who just can't handle it. What will you say to such people? You're out of a job. I mean, right now, I mean, I was talking about the fact that a company is looking at their bottom line, is looking at their profits. So definitely they're going to hire someone who can be able to handle different roles. Because they would want to pay someone who can handle row A, B, and C than hire three people to do the same job, right? Right. So if you're someone who cannot keep up with the different responsibilities as the companies are changing, as they are expanding, as they are looking to do other things, then it means that it's going to impact the bottom line. So you would have to catch up. Uh, My advice to such a person is quickly find a way of being able to take these uh, more responsibilities and keep your uh, be level-headed whilst doing it right so if you're listening to us you can also join us live on facebook and you can you can watch this program in real time real hd quality pictures 
with with Priscilla behind the behind the the, the camera. And so the page to go to is. At Albert N. E. Okran on Facebook. You can just watch us live and you can share also on Computer A. Just watch us in, 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 in live pictures um, live on Facebook. But the discussion we are having is about a report released by the World Economic Forum about the top 10 skills. We'll break down just five of them today just so we don't um, we take time to speak to them. And so the top 10 skills that will be required for anyone seeking to be relevant in the job market in the year 2020 and beyond and interestingly we've taken the first one cognitive flexibility that talks about being able to concentrate and 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 juggle so many roles at the same time somebody says listen i went to do marketing in school but you are in the in the organization and you are being used for event planning you are being used for for interviews you are being used at the same time for building you, you are sitting on the building committee i say what, what am i doing here <laughs> that's that's the kind of job that's the kind of situation you find yourself in i i've, I've had several situations where i ask myself as a pastor you find yourself doing planning hr you do so many different things that you didn't go to Bible school to learn, but but hey, that's the kind of role that you find yourself in in a very dynamic organization. So, um, let me come to you, uh, Nikwe. For anyone who is not, unable to juggle multiple roles and unable to adapt, how does the why would the report think that you will be irrelevant going forward? Okay, so with the onset of um, technology. And even before that, a lot of companies are looking at sustainability. And uh, the Trump card now has been doing more with less. Right. So which means a lot of companies are thinning out their workforce numbers. So they are looking at people who could multitask, people who could do a lot of things at the same time. So that, for instance, if I need five people to do this tax, and I can get one person who could multi-tax and, uh, you know, get a thing done, why would I be, you know, keeping those five obvious or go for the one person who'll be able to do all these things? Are you suggesting that if you had five people in a rule and you were you were required by the parent organization or the, or the bigger corporate to reduce it to one, you will select the one who can play multiple roles at the same time? Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Good. Okay, so if you're listening tonight and you, uh, you've been told that your, your department is about to be slashed down and you're asking yourself, what do I do? And you are praying. Beyond prayer, ask yourself, how much value do you bring on the different touch points within the organization? And once you can do multiple things, you are relevant across different fields, you know you will keep your job and somebody else will go. All right. <laughs> Next one is negotiation skills. Uh, um, Ama, negotiation, what, what is it and why is it, why, why is it important? Negotiation is basically um, being able to to seek out something. If you want to actually, you need to know what you are negotiating for in right. the first place. Right. You need to know what you are looking for. And then you always need to negotiate from a position of strength. You should look at yourself, get to know yourself, introspect, and know that this is what I'm looking out for. And what is the other person going to uh, what does the other person get in return? So once you know what you're looking for, you'll be able to bargain well in terms of whatever you are looking out for and looking to get from the other counterpart. But in terms of the things that we do, um, in terms of work, we need to be able to come out strongly on what we are looking for. If we know what we're looking for, then we would work towards it. We'll put in place the milestones that will help us to achieve what we are looking for. 
and be able to realize the objectives of our game. Funny thing, Doris, the report I'm reading says that's one thing that robots can't do very well. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the report I'm reading says that I mean, finding common ground, finding agreement, finding, finding um, a point of agreement between two differing values will require certain complex social skills that robots cannot adopt very easily and that's why negotiation will be needed but but doris if you if you look in an organization how will you measure somebody who has negotiation skills i mean i'm just trying to wrap my mind around it i do a job as let's say production manager i do a job as let's say hr manager how how do you as the overall boss, measure my level of compliance with with negotiation as as a benchmark or as a tool. How how, how do you measure it? <laughs> negotiation and compliance. Well, let me start from uh, negotiation. Um, if you're in the workplace, you need to learn how to negotiate. Whether you're looking for better pay, whether you're looking to do um, be promoted, or whether you're looking to um, convince your manager um, about maybe other th- skills that you need to improve right. yourself. Right. Um, so your ability to do that well right. will will play well in your favor, of course. And uh, uh, on the um, on the other side, if you're the manager and you want your employees to uh, to a certain line, you must understand how to negotiate with them you must understand what um what what is important to them how you can get them around to be thinking the way you want them to think or to the line you want to uh, to in the same way so if you're uh, bringing in compliance into the company you need to be able to negotiate with the workers they need to understand with their daily work how compliance affects them and you need to have those skills for them to buy into the idea of compliance. The interesting thing I find is that very often, depending on who is introducing an innovation, a new concept, a new idea, and how it is packaged, people can either rejoice or go on strike. That's right. <laughs> it depends on who does the communication. Somebody can announce something so well that people be clapping and saying, great, when do we start? And the same thing that is being introduced, somebody else can announce it and the staff will say, no, we won't do it. What is it that makes some people able to communicate? And this is part of the negotiation, I guess. Nikwe, how how do you get the point across in a way that will make people buy into it? Even if it's a very difficult difficult line that you're trying to do, as Doris mentioned. Okay. In the framework of the report... It's um, identifying negotiation skills as um, the ability to dialogue, to come to a common consensus. Why is it needed? It's very critical. For instance, uh, let's say you are in an organization, and here we're talking about somebody who could juggle around and you know handle multiple, you know, um, works and all that. Now we also need somebody who can t- cut across all the various layers of the organization get people on board to support a particular worthy cause in the organization. For instance, it's a project that we're rolling out. Now, how do you get a buy-in of the other, um, what they call it, players in that particular project? And this is where we need somebody who can convince all the other key players in the organization to say, this is the way we need to go. This is a good project worthy of, you know, um, supporting. 
But if you don't have that skill, you might have the finest ideas in the organization, but you will not be able to get the sponsor, you will not be able to get the support to move this particular idea into fruition. So going forward, we need that particular kind of skill where, you know, manager will say, when it comes to this particular, you know, um, project, let's give it to this person. He's be able to get Ghana and the numbers, able to get the support to move it forward. So it's very, very critical going forward, uh, as the report has already stipulated. It is 27 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock, and this is Springboard, your virtual university. My guests for tonight, Doris Ajiman, she's a, a compliance consultant. She lives with a ruler. A ruler in her bedroom. She wakes up with a ruler in a, in a T square, making sure everyone is. Trying, hey, I don't want to live in your house. <laughs> Are you a minimalist? Let me find out. <laughs> is, is everything in your kitchen drawn with a, a T square there? You should ask my children. I'll ask them. <laughs> I, I'll, if I, I'll call. I'll call software and ask him. <laughs> so Doris is a, is a is a compliance consultant. Ama is an HR guru and then so so is New Queen. They're trying to help me understand this report by the World Economic Forum that says these are the top 10 skills that one will require to move your career forward in the year 2020 and beyond. Yesterday, somebody was asking me, so if I don't have it, what do I do? We'll find out from my guests very shortly. In, interestingly, the next point is a, is a point that I'm sure everyone can relate to and that is service orientation. Service is such a big word and i recall going somewhere this week and somebody said sit down and i looked at the person like this and i said excuse me <laughs> i mean sit down i mean almost almost like to, you can't even talk to these days you can't even talk to nursery children like that and this is somebody who's supposed to be paid by an organization in a front line role let me start with you Amma. How big is service, and why is it being touted as one of the things that if you don't have, forget it. You will not, you will not keep your job. I think service—it's um, everything in terms of um, the world of work. Um, we do have clients that we service, and with the cli- without the clients, we're going nowhere. We need to ensure that our clients are served and served appropriately, so that they will be advocates for the business so that they would come back to the business again, give the business referrals for the business to grow. Even for us in HR, we do have internal clients as well. Just as we have- Everybody has internal, uh, external, right. As as well as external clients. So for the staff that we even work with, we need to pay attention to them and give them the service that they require. Usually people say HR is home ground, you know, your, your internal clients are there with you and you know them already. But even with them, we have to ensure that we give them the necessary courtesies so that they will definitely be our raving fans. Definitely, if we want them to actually, um, we want to get their buy-in and to leverage on that, to do the things that we have to do to drive business performance, then our service orientation should be upmarket. I mean, Doris, everybody talks about service and makes it, makes it sound like it's a natural progression. But we hear of also very atrocious service situations. I mean, I was talking to <laughs> Uncle Richard. He talked about the fact that his flight was delayed for three hours on the tarmac without explanation. It's a reality. You have bad experiences every day in different environments and in different places. If service is so critical to business, why do we have bad service? We have bad service because I think they, um, there's a lack of training. Um, or a lack of understanding. And even that, I find it hard to believe that the company won't understand uh, 
service orientation because you your the success of the business depends largely on your customers you know whether they're internal or they're external and if you're not able to give that customer satisfaction you are definitely uh, driving down your profits you are lowering your market share you are losing your your competitive advantage and um, if companies listen we deal with human beings all the time and it doesn't matter how much you train a person sometimes depending on how they come to work whatever happens to them would affect what the um, how the uh, their output so it's incumbent on the company to give uh, regular training and also to keep an eye on the service that is delivered to really remain relevant Mikui, the, the 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 famous um, altercation that um, that um, happened on, on a U.S. airline um, <laughs> earlier this year, where a doctor was told that the airline was was full and the plane was full, overbooked, and he should get down. And he says, "Listen, I'm not getting down because I have an appointment on the other side of town." And they insisted, and they pulled him out of the flight, broke his teeth. The airline lost a billion, a billion in a couple of weeks in in, in shareholder value as a result of people bailing out. It is on record that 78 percent of customers have bailed out on a transaction or intended purchase because of poor service. If service is killing businesses, why are we not doing more? Well, I would say service is a culture. And uh, coming down home, we complain a lot about the way that sometimes um, certain organizations even respond to the needs of customers. When you, when you say somebody has a service orientation or an organization has a service orientation, it's basically stepping into the minds of consumers mm-hmm. or users, finding out what is valuable to them, what is their most fears, what do they dislike, and coming out with products or services that will attempt to you know, solve all these um, things I talk about. So if, as a consumer... I know a company is doing everything possible to erode a fear that I have, be it in an airline, you know, assuring me that this particular airline is the best airline and therefore my safety is of prime importance. That fear is eroded by that particular company and I'll stick to that company. Right. You know, so it's very, very critical. And uh, like M. Doris indicated, it goes down to affect the bottom line if we do not get it right. And, and this day and age... With the proliferation of social media, the slightest amplifier. <laughs> it is the amplifier. Yes. <laughs> Interestingly, have you found yourself, listeners? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where there are five people serving and people have queued for one person only, even though the other the other providers are available? Because that person is so good, everyone wants to go to that person, even though others are available, and some are sitting down doing nothing because nobody wants to go there because of previous experience. I'm going to take a little musical break, and then when I come back, drop down the two remaining. Um, attributes that is judgment having sound judgment being able to make quality decisions and then emotional intelligence this is springboard your virtual university and our discussions about the 10 points released by the world economic forum for advancing your career in the year 2020 and beyond and today we are looking at the first five of those 10 skills that the report mentioned so far, we've looked at cognitive flexibility as the first one, negotiation as the second one, and then we've touched on service orientation. Why is service important? Because that, that's that member of your team, that member of staff 
who has a service orientation is the one that you want to keep or the one that you want to employ because your customers would love that person and that person would always bring extra value in the business. And so if you say, listen, I'm not a friendly person, so media, I don't like smiling. Listen, you will lose your job not because you are technically incompetent, but because you just can't relate to people. And that is the bottom line. Let's talk about judgment and decision-making. Doris, let me start from you for a simple reason. For what you do, decision-making and, and, and sound judgment I'm sure it's a very key thing to you as a person because of the area in which you operate. But why would you place premium on a person who makes sound decisions in your rating of people whose jobs um, they must keep? Why would you rate judgment or, or sound decision making as a very important skill? It will be important because um, if I gave a person a role to take, I'm... Uh, putting a lot of confidence in uh, the ability to make good decisions for my business. If I'm not there, I can't always be everywhere, and that's why I employ you. So if I have an employee who can think on their feet and will bring in more business, that's that's a definitely a, a kind of person I will hire. So I would put premium on such a person because I know very well that I have confidence. I can leave things in their hands and not worry about them um, making me lose business right. because of the decisions they make. Right. Um, it's said that the higher you go, the more one bad decision can cost the company millions and, and to some extent billions. I mean, for you in the HR role, um, in, in hiring people for top level positions, how do you measure if you if you sat on an interview panel choosing somebody for a top role, how do you measure a person's sense of judgment and quality decision making? How do you measure it? Do you have a barometer for that? Generally, uh, an interview session alone may not be the only tool that you can use to measure um, people's judgments. We do have some assessments that people take for senior managers for you to be able to assess their level of judgment. Because as you rightly said, the decisions that we take on a daily basis could be detrimental or could be in favor of the business. So it's essential that the people we bring on board are people that we can trust and people that we can actually be confident enough to know that they will make good judgments. There are also some behavioral questions that can be thrown in an interview situation whereby the individual will talk about a situation, a scenario, what the person did, what the what the situation was, the tax that was done, the action that was taken, and the outcome. And based on that, you can infer from the things that the person has done over the period, considering his experience as being someone who could make some sound decisions that may be required at that level. Let me ask you a very personal question. Have you ever sat in an interview session where you look at somebody and you say, this, this candidate is good, but based on some some answers they gave or some something you may have observed the person looks like somebody who will make either rash decisions or low quality decisions so even though they are technically competent you just have to drop them and, and, and it pain you a bit have you ever had a situation like this before um yes so, uh, several times i would say mm-hmm. uh, because you know as we so go up the ladder you are the headmistress who draws <laughs> <laughs> because as we actually go up the career ladder it's not just about the technical skills mm-hmm. not just the bolts and the nuts it's about your ability to manage people and influence decisions positively so sometimes you can actually talk to someone and based on his thinking patterns based on the things that he says 
that he has done previously. And even sometimes some of the references that are made, you can even infer what the future is likely to look. So based on the behavioral questions and the, the situational that are the situations that are presented and talked about, actually you can make some inferences. So this and most uh, most of the time they turn out to be right. Right. Yes. So, 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 Nikwe, you, you, a person is listening tonight and they are saying, listen, I know myself. What they are saying, that's me. I am good, but I sometimes make some very terrible decisions. Can a person improve in their decision-making capacity? Can they improve it? Yeah, basically, yes. Um, it's possible for a person, you know, for all these um, 10 skills that have been listed by the World Economic Forum as the top 10 skills needed, there are skills that can be learned. There are skills that can be harnessed over time. So if you're an individual out there and you think you are technically savvy, and but your problem is making good decisions, then I will urge you to look out for various ways. Um, there are a lot of books out there. You go to Amazon, a lot of books on decision-making that will help you to harness your decision. Now, I want to go a step further. I think uh, I'm a kind of um, maybe a... Uh, Put fear, put fear in the, <laughs> in people, but but later from from talking from the technological point of view, uh, when it comes to decision making and judgment, um, you know, in your intro, you made mention of the fact that some jobs are going to be really needed in the future, and one of them you mentioned about data analysts. Now, when it comes to decision making, going to the technology point of view, also we are looking at somebody who can you know play around numbers come out with information that can direct business strategy and decision. So if you are the type who want to always sit behind a computer, I will urge you to go critically into data analytics or business intelligence. And that is also one of the areas that when it comes to decision making and judgment, you can also make a mark. You know, not, uh, maybe you are not the type who can really sit at a board level and uh, talk and come out with decisions, but you can also speak with numbers then that is an area that you can also, you know, train and make a mark, you know, going forward. It would look evident to me that if you if you have the capacity to work with people yeah. and then take on board the thoughts of other people, you reduce the, the likelihood of making an error in, in your decisions. And then secondly, if you also take on board historicals, take on board available data mm-hmm. and you don't make impulsive decisions, you are likely to save the organization. But somebody will yeah. say, listen, sometimes it is hot, hot, hot. What do you do? Right from Tema, obviously watching us on Facebook or listening on JFM says, I am Bright from Community 21. How do these 10 skills play out in the field of education? Um, I don't know whether he's asking about whether the education's, um, educational as a professional. education as a profession or whether the educational system provides you with, with um, the ability to play ball on these, these calls. But let me come to the last one of emotional intelligence. The, the best description of emotional intelligence, in my opinion, was given by Kiersen, my friend Kiersen. He says his mother was so calm in the face of provocation that even when she wanted to beat you, she won't raise her voice. She said, Kweku, come and let me beat you. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, KSM. I know you're listening to us. You are a regular listener to your virtual university. Let me dedicate this one to your mother who would always call you with a soft voice. Come and let me beat you. So that is emotional intelligence. When you are being provoked and things are happening all over the business, being able to remain calm and to make quality decisions and keep control of your emotions. Am I is that correct? <laughs> or oh, my definition is too KSM. 
I like ASM's uh, definition of emotional intelligence. Um, generally, emotional intelligence, um, I think, is basically your ability to manage yourself and the ability for you to manage the relationship, your relationship with others to deliver on a goal or objective. Um, usually, um, this has become very critical in our workplace today because it really um, focuses, it really is important when it comes to managing people right. to deliver on their work. These days, we are not much managing machines. We are managing human beings, and human beings have emotions. So their emotions need to be managed effectively to enable them to have that kind of peace of mind to be able to deliver on the job. It's a very difficult thing. I'm, let, me, let me come to you, Doris. Doris, mm-hmm. there are times when, I mean, there are times when you know as a leader that drive the people and they will deliver because they have the capacity to deliver and the potential to deliver and they need somebody to drive it out of them. There are times too when empathy must make you look at that person who is late and instead of asking them why you are late, ask them, how are you today? And that day of all these, they just lost their parent. How do you juggle the day when you must say, get to work and deliver the results and the day when you must say, listen, it's going to be all right. How do you even know when to adopt that empathetic outlook and when to adopt the, the driver outlook. How do, how do, how do, you, how do you tell? Is, is this spiritual? Must you, pray? <laughs> <laughs> you must pray at all times, right? <laughs> well, like Amak said, you're dealing with people all the time. Yes, you have, you're dealing with your profit, you want to make money and all of that. But at the same time, you must be able to harness your resources. And one of your major resources are your people. If you want to make money, it means that you must know how to manage the people. And a part of that is knowing how to deal with the emotions. Um, one of the th- and you just took that word right out, talking about empathy, knowing how to make sure you can use those negotiation skills like we talked before. And at the same time, be able to balance it at the right time. Knowing your people, you must know your people. That's the only way you're going to be able to do that. You know when to deliver uh, empathy. You know when to draw back and then have that big stick if that's what you have to drive and make sure that they are doing. Because... Once you do, you're able to do that and effectively deliver, you get the results that you want. In part two of this discussion, we look at coordinating with others, people management, creativity, critical thinking, and complex problem solving. But Nikwe, give us your, your closing thoughts on this discussion in a minute. What should we do going forward? Okay. Um, going forward, I just want to give some small statistics that uh, as HR practitioners, we need to be mindful of. If you look at the reports that has been churned out, it indicates that by the year 2020, millennials are going to make up 50% of the workforce that we're going to have. So the question is, what kind of environment are we cultivating? Are we putting in place necessary measures to attract millennials into our workplace? And that's something going for we need to look at. Right. Yeah. All right. So we we'll talk about millennials and their their peculiar strengths and also their their differences of orientation. I mean, it's a very interesting subject. We will we'll pick up another time. Amma, closing thoughts. Okay. I think these uh, competencies or skills are realistic. They are ones that can be developed. If you do not have them now, you still do have time to build them up. You need to be deliberate about it. You need to be committed. I guess, be, you, I guess it starts by being, being even aware of the marketing skills. Yes. <laughs> Self-awareness is key. Right. So we need to do a bit more of as introspection 
to be self-aware and make sure that uh, we are deliberate about it. We need to put some time and effort to developing these particular traits. And we also need to be disciplined. We always want to get there, but sometimes we do not want to do the work that will take us there. So we need to put in a lot, a bit more effort to ensure that these competencies are enhanced for us to be successful, both now and for the future. Amen. Amen. In the next discussion that we would have on this subject, we will break down the remaining five skills. And listen, as Nikki rightly said, even as you break these things down, it may scare you and you may say, listen, if I knew, I would have done something about this earlier. But the good news is that it's not too late. You can start from now to build competence in all these areas. I want to say thank you to Amakranti Mansan, thank you to Nikwe Koti, and thank you to Doris Ajiman for joining me on the show tonight. On behalf of my boss, Comfort, as well as Matthew, his lovely wife, Priscilla, and then Amos and then Fifi, who joined us on the bench today, who has a very close relationship with Amma. My name is Albert O'Brien. <laughs> saying God bless you. God bless you and God bless you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert N. E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-2499-900. You may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com, amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, Always remember, you are blessed indeed.